this is Daryl letting you know what's happening on this episode. This is a two-part episode. It's a Total Soccer Show and Scuffed Collaboration episode. If you don't know about Scuffed, Adam Bells and Greg Velasquez, it's one of the best U.S. men's national team soccer podcasts around. No other podcast watches as much or knows as much or talks about as much the young players that will one day make the U.S. men's national team better. This collaboration episode is a two-parter. It's just me and Adam. This is part one. I should say me and Bells. This is part one. And we take questions from Twitter. We put the call out the other night, asked for uh, US national team themed questions. We got a lot of questions come our way. We have answered as many as possible. This is part one. The second part is in the Scuffed feed. So to find part two, you've got to go and find Scuffed in the podcast player of your choice. And you can subscribe there and you can listen to it there. Welcome to a Total Soccer Show scuffed collaboration special. My name is Daryl Grove and on the other end of the line, it's Adam Bells from Scuffed. Hello, hello. Daryl, honored to be here. Thanks for having me. It is great to have you. Um, I've got to start with something. Um, that I honestly can't remember if we've had this conversation before. I've always called you Adam and then I've been listening to Scuffed a lot and I find myself wanting to call you Bells. Yeah, call me Bells. I mean, people have been calling me Bells my whole life. Is that your preference? It's- I think so. It feels more warm and okay. uh, familiar. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, that's, it's natural for it's me. It's a cool last name. It's, it's a cool, a, last, it's name. A cool last name, yeah. I would say if you were in the UK, you would definitely be Bells or Belzy, maybe. Belzy is what <laughs> Belzy is what I got called by my uh, soccer team in college. There we but go. But not, not much since. <laughs> so you, um, if you don't like it, you can blame Mr. Velasquez because that, <laughs> that's where I picked it up. <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Um, also, uh, Taylor has asked me to make very clear to you that um, he's aware that he hasn't been on a show with you and he wants to make clear that there is no beef. It's just, it's just coincidence. It's more that oh. when, when he's not available, you're one of my go-tos. So it kind of works out like that. Tell him the, the stakes are in the mail. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no beef. No beef fell in. And Greg sends his uh, regards for sure. Awesome, awesome. Um, so we have a million, not a million, but a lot of listener questions that we have solicited on Twitter all of them about the sort of the U.S. national team program at many, many levels. Lots of great questions that I'm excited to dig into. We're going to go back and forth asking those questions. But first, there's, there's been some breaking news that I think we have to address at the top of the show. And I'm going to call it the two C's. We've got Cordero and we've got coronavirus. Yeah. <laughs> um, so shall we start with um, former U.S. soccer president, Carlos Cordero? Um, his resignation, uh, he announced his resignation uh, yesterday evening after Taylor and I had recorded a sort of response to the U.S. legal filings and Coca-Cola's reaction and all and all that good stuff. Um, were you taken by surprise by Carlos Cordero's um, tweet of resignation? I guess not, really. I think he, he, he needed to step down. I, I, I assume you agree. I mean, Do you agree with that? I think there's definitely a scapegoat element where we're all pointing at Cordero and saying it's his fault. And I'm not fully convinced that there's not... Um, the problem isn't more U.S. soccer wide. So I'm, I'm always hesitant to be like, okay, we got rid of the one guy. Now everything's fine, right? Yeah, but not at, that at everything's same, fine. But at not the same time, at the same time, with a massive mistake like this, a massive error like this, a, a public outrage like this, the president is ultimately responsible, does have to go. And I'm pretty sure that's what Coca-Cola and Visa and Deloitte um, made clear to Carlos Cordero. Yeah, 
yeah, that the the faster, stronger legal filings. You know yes. that men that men have more responsibility and their job is more difficult because they're faster and stronger. Yeah, which just if you they know, haven't seen Captain Marvel. <laughs> I mean, the legal arguments aside, it was just a uh, you know very bad hill to die on. Yes, and Cordero died on it, and he had to step down. Now he he claims he didn't he didn't review the legal filings before they were um, filed, and that's that's totally plausible, but. Still, I mean, that doesn't absolve him of, you know, having to having to deal with the public outrage, which is very predictable when you say stuff like that. I agree. And I, I also think that even if that's his excuse that I didn't review those legal filings, I still think those legal filings were just the equivalent of um, saying the quiet part loud, because this has been yeah. the I've forgotten the name of the law firm, but the, the law firm representing U.S. soccer, this has been their line of questioning throughout the legal proceedings right they've they've gone after players like on this these same lines um earlier when when there was questioning so it's not as if this came out of the blue this has been part of the legal stance for a good while so it's impossible to say that uh Cordero was completely unaware of what the legal stance was going to be what the legal defense was going to be right it wasn't a secret this was i, yeah. I guess I, my understanding is this is what they've kind of been saying all along they just said it more loudly more yeah. clearly yeah it's the quiet part loud right yeah, yeah. I uh, think the name of the law firm is the Sith Lords. That's it. That's that, it yeah. <laughs> it's something with the S and a TH in it for sure. <laughs> the Sith Lords. The clue is in the name, right? The clue is definitely <laughs> in the name. Um, and, and I think that was Cordero's gamble, right? Was that we're going to change law firms to something less Sith, Sith sounding? Um, but that that was not enough to save his job. Too late. Yeah. Too late. Yeah. And I think the the question here is: Will, will Cordero leaving? actually bring about substantive change at U.S. soccer or USSF? This is the first question we have from Twitter. Uh, Coolpix88 asks, will Cordero's leaving actually bring about substantive change at the U.S. Soccer Federation? If not, what will? Um, I'm very aware that you asked the question for me to answer it and I've turned it around. I wanted to make sure we knew who had, uh, who had asked it to us. Oh, yeah. Um, cool but I, I won't throw you under the bus by making you answer first. Um, I think yes, but not just because Cordero has left. I think... Um, the, the cause and effect of these legal filings and the outrage against it, um, there's going to be lots of changes, um, including uh, Cindy Palo Cohn now being president. So I think yeah. my, it has a good chance of bringing about substantive change at USSF. But do you get what I'm saying? It's not just because Codero has gone. It's because a lot of stuff is going to have to change in order for US soccer to um, to steady the ship, um, bail themselves out and write their reputation so that sponsors will will be willing to be associated with them. Yeah. So, so one thing I don't understand, and maybe you do, is how central this faster, stronger argument is to the to the larger defense from U.S. U.S. soccer against this equal pay slash discrimination lawsuit. I, actually I don't, don't know if it's. I don't know. It's it's not the whole thing. I know that. Like a lot of no, uh, U.S. soccer's argument thing. was, uh, for example, the the prize money that the U.S. women say they would have received if they had been playing under the men's CBA. A lot of that prize money is given to the federation by FIFA. And um, as, as we talked about on yesterday's show, the, the total prize money for the Women's World Cup in 2019 was $30 million. Total prize money for the 2018 Men's World Cup, $400 million. So there's definitely a U.S. soccer argument, a, a more realistic argument than the, the uh, reverse Captain Marvel argument is that <laughs> the money just isn't there, right? The money just isn't there for us to be able to, be able to do that. So that's one, one example of, a, of, of an argument they're making that at least is grounded in numbers. Right. There's also the argument that they they help pay for NWSL and that's like yeah. part of the CBA. I mean, there's a actually, lot of there's a lot of legal stuff. I but, actually think the NWSL thing is really important, and it's something that 
I haven't seen it properly argued out as to whether that should be counted as compensation for being a women's national team player or not. Because it feels a little bit to me like... So for those who don't know, US soccer uh, funds, I can't remember if it's two or three players on each NWSL roster, they straight up pay their salary, right? So they're like the equivalent of designated players in NWSL and their salaries. It's around 100,000. It's a lot higher than the average salary um, on an NWSL roster. Um, And that feels a little bit like that should just be an investment that US soccer is making in women's soccer, not something that they then count as, oh, we're also paying you this, right? It's it's a little bit like if you took money from your parents to bail you out for something and then they reminded you about it forever. (laughs) <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I, I see the analogy. And I I think, yeah, before we get into like a total wormhole here, because I know you guys covered this, so a lot of this stuff yesterday. I, I guess I, I just think, you know, there, there's all these legal arguments. It's a, it's a fairly complicated case. I do think it's going to bring substantive change, like you said, in the sense that now people know that the sponsors are mad yeah. and the public is mad and they've got to, they've got to do something different on equal pay. Hopefully, hopefully make a settlement. Hopefully, start negotiating with the men's national team and the women's national team together. That would be awesome. I think you said that yesterday, right? Yeah. Uh, it seems like that's like sort of the long term solution here. And uh, as for all the other stuff about substantive change at the at USSF, I mean, you could you could uh, go down a list of a hundred things that that need to change. I don't I don't know that all those things are going to change. I do think there has been some substantive change. I know I'm just sort of rambling here. There has been sub, sub, substantive change at USSF under Cordero. One yes. thing, like the Brian McBride, Ernie Stewart era kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And and Kate Markgraf, they've they've um they've restructured the way the soccer organization operates, and I think that's mostly a positive change. And so there's been some substantive change. Yeah, it feels so far, more. so far, so good. Oh, actually, one last thing I'd say about this is I read a Megalyn Hearn article um, on The Athletic, and she made the point that this, this isn't a new thing. This is just, it's kind of coming to a head right now. But if you look at the history, there were times when um, apparently there was an example in 2000, the 99ers, right? The 99 World Cup winning team. Um, yeah. There was a tournament, a pre-Olympic tournament in Australia. It's like She Believes Cup, but in Australia, called the Australia Cup, where they couldn't reach an agreement in terms of payment. And they, they just sent, US Soccer had to send like a team of ringers, basically a second string team, because they were absolutely refusing to... Uh, to pay the 99ers what they what they deserved. And there's just a long history of US soccer attempting to underpay the US women's national team. So this may be the thing that breaks it wide open and makes US soccer, um, I guess, look in the mirror and stop taking the women's national team for granted and, and finally essentially cave and give them a very generous deal. Yeah. It's the crown jewel of the program right now. Yeah. Um, it's the thing we have most to be proud of as American soccer fans. That's absolutely true. It's it's even if it costs you know even if it's not a hundred percent quote unquote fair in USSF size they should just they should just give them what they want you know yeah I mean or to at least no, or at least uh, give a little and maybe they give a little and then everybody gives a little and they meet somewhere in the middle yeah give them more than a legal filing that pisses everybody off there we go yeah. <laughs> There we go. Anything else to say um, to answer this question about will Cordero's leaving actually bring about substantive change? No, I, I feel I have said enough. Let's move on to the other C then, coronavirus. So MLS suspended for a little while. Um, I think the Bundesliga just announced it's going to suspend play. The Premier League has announced it's going to suspend play. Um, essentially, most football is stopping, right? Um, yeah. what, what's been your reaction to all this? My reaction is deep pessimism. I think... 
I wonder how long this is going to last. You know? Yeah, I I feel the same in that everyone's just decided like three weeks to a month and that'll mm. do it. And, I, and it's not going to do it. No, I don't. I don't know if that's uh, if there's a lot of scientific advice behind that, or if that's just maybe they've decided that's how much they can bear to suspend it, and then they'll still be able to catch up. Which, if it's if that's the calculation, that's a calculation based on fixture congestion as opposed to um, as opposed to health. public health. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I mean, we're, so so what the estimates of when we're going to have a vaccine are uh, the most the latest I've seen is twelve to eighteen months, something like that. Does that square with what you've seen? Yeah, I mean, I've been reading a lot from all kinds of different sources, and uh, yeah, roughly that seems right. Yeah. I don't, I'm really I'm really wary of making any pronouncements because I know yeah. that I'm I have no background in public health. Same here, same here. But I mean, so twelve months seems like a fairly optimistic estimate for when we're going to have a vaccine. Maybe something will happen and it'll get a lot faster than that. But that's there, nothing has been reported to that to that extent right now. And uh, without a vaccine, what we have is social distancing. Yep. And to to flatten the curve. So anytime, I mean, I saw the. The um, a virologist from the University of Minnesota was interviewed a couple of days ago. He said, you know, after even even in China, after they after they relax social distancing, there's going to be another spike in in the the rates of of coronavirus people catching it. I see. So I feel like we're going to have several months at a minimum uh, where we're we're going to have to play it safe. I guess that's that's my suspicion. So maybe and, maybe it'll be that things are suspended for the three or four weeks right now, and then maybe they they look at what's going on and they say, okay, we're going to suspend it for another three or four weeks. So instead of like canceling the whole season, they're just going to do this piecemeal, um, and they might still keep making sensible decisions. Yeah, I think so. That's that's my I mean, my optimism coming out there. The, it's interesting that the Bundesliga was the last one to to you know call off their games this weekend. Yeah, given that they're the they've they've been very sensible in their. As a country, Germany has been very sensible in their response to coronavirus. Yeah, well, they, they made the right decision in the end, I guess. Um, yeah. We, yeah. We have a question about this from Twitter. Um, Kenny Flores asks both of us, if all professional and national soccer is basically cancelled until the fall, so that would be what the Euro 2020s and the Copa America are also cancelled, what yeah. will TSS and SCUF do? Boy, I have no idea, but I feel like it's more a question for you, Taylor. I mean, I guess we'll be a poetry podcast. <laughs> a wildlife podcast who knows we'll i mean we have something. plans to maybe uh watch some classic matches and review those um mm. we have plans to maybe do some of like themed 11s like a star wars 11 that kind of thing um i think in a weird way i'll quite enjoy the challenge of trying to come up with come up with content because sometimes there are things we want to do on the total soccer show that we can't get to because there's a champions league game and there's a premier league game and there's a u.s national team game and it just things yeah. keep coming and coming and coming so at least to begin with, the break will give us a chance to do some things we haven't found time for before. But it depends how long that break goes on, right? Yeah. No, I, I, that, good point. And I think interview, you know, interviews are something that we've sort of fallen off on, but we did do some good interviews in the past. I would like to say that we'll take this opportunity to interview more people who yeah. don't, also don't have a lot of – not only is there no soccer to watch, but there's really no soccer to play. Yeah. So the, these guys have more time on their hands. But, you know, those – we'll see. I mean, that, that's the best case scenario, I suppose. So we can expect Pulisic, Adams, McKenney, all, the, all those guys on scuff, right? Yeah, yeah. We have a lot, we have a lot of pull with those guys. <laughs> you no, never know. They, they, they may have the time now. Yeah. No, that's, <laughs> I guess that's the optimistic case. Um, Should I ask the next, next question? Yeah, let's go for it. Uh, Jazario Mar- Marcoa asks, with all things being equal, where would you prefer to see young Americans break through? 
MLS, Bundesliga, Premier League, or any other league? So this is really hard, right? Because there are different answers for different things. If it's um, yeah. if it's like a player that we've put a lot of hope into, I would go Bundesliga because I feel like that's the place where you have the highest level of competition and the most um, willingness to to trust some young players, right? Right. Um, if it's just about who's the very best, I would say Premier League. Like that's where I want players to end up because I think that's the highest profile league. Like I'm really glad, for example, that Christian Pulisic is there right now. So if there's an absolute gem of a player who's re- who's like, you know ready to take on the world, I would say Premier League. Um, but in terms of just volume, I want it to be MLS because if you're not producing your own talent, then you're relying on other places to do it for you. Yeah. So I guess my answer is then it depends on the depends on the type of player we're talking about. Yeah, I'll take the question very literally and say MLS. I would prefer to see young Americans break through at MLS in MLS because we need we need the league to start producing good young players and then sell them to Europe. Yeah. So um, I love the Bundesliga and it's done a great service to the the men's national team, but it's a hard it's a hard pathway. It doesn't work for everyone. You need a you know Pulisic had a had a passport. Reina has has a passport. Yeah. Otherwise, you have to wait until you're 18. You often have like six or seven or 12 months of idleness in there. Yeah, um, it'd so be better. many players, right, who've just spent seven months just kicking around waiting to turn 18 so they can sign a Bundesliga contract. And that right. really feels like time wasted. It does. It does. So it would be best if MLS was a genuine selling league and we were, you know, selling five or 10 good young players each year for single-digit transfer fees, single, not single-digits, literally single-digit million-dollar transfer fees to Europe. Yeah, um, and maybe this is the path that Hazario's laid out, right? MLS, Bundesliga, Premier League. That's yeah, that's the way right. to go. It would be awesome. That would be great. Um, ready for the next question? It's from our friend Ira Jersey, um, who definitely listens to Scuffed because he says, since Bells seems to be getting on the Tanner Tessman hype train with me, where in a Bearhalter system do you think he plays as there doesn't seem to be a traditional number eight in the new system? I, I think I agree with Ira that there's there's kind of a number eight, but it's it's like an eight slash ten. Yeah. I hope Tessman I – agree, I agree with you and Ira. I hope Tessman develops into a six – and I would hope that the Burhalter system evolves to the point where we don't need to play a, a Regista or whatever you call it, whatever Jackson Ewell, yeah. Michael Bradley are. Um, and then I, I think Tessman could play that that role as a as a rugged six who can also <laughs> move the ball. Um, so you've seen, but you've, seen more of Tessman. you've seen more of Tessman than I have because I know you've watched the, the couple of FC Dallas games that he's played in this year. Um, yeah. what, so what are his attributes? Big. Athletic, physical, wins his his one v one battles. Um, doesn't do anything amazing on the ball, but is was very clean in those first two games of the season before everything got shut down. I I don't I don't think there are a lot of players in the pool who have that combination of cleanliness on the ball and uh, ruggedness in defense. Does he move quickly? Can he cover ground? Because the thing I've always been worried about is with the various sixes that we have. Um, like maybe not so much Jackson Ewell, but definitely Michael Bradley, Will Trapp, and even guys like Chris Durkin, if we're looking at youth national teams. Yeah. It always seems like they can spray passes around and they are capable of tackling, but they just don't have that pace to cover ground. Yeah, I think Tessman's a level up from all of those guys, including Ewell okay. in terms of moving quickly. He's not, you know, he doesn't have Tyler Adams' quickness over five yards, Yeah, but but he but he's quicker than, than Ewell, I would say. Well, Tyler Adams is a precog, so he can uh, <laughs> he can right. see what's happening before it happens, and not many people can do that. 
Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to get out of hand, but I think I see a little bit of that from Tessman, where he sort of sees things developing because he he won a ton of duels in both of those games, uh, you know, against grown men. And I, I'm I'm like I said this on our last podcast or one of the recent ones, but I'm really obsessed with players, how players perform in the cage, you know, in that little three by three yard box. Yeah, when they come up against another another man, who wins? <laughs> you know, you see Gio Reyna winning a lot, even in the Bundesliga. Yeah. He, and I saw Tessman winning a lot. Oh, so you're, you're not saying like as a training ground exercise, you're saying that when this situation develops on the field. Yes, exactly. All right. Yeah, and not an actual fight, but just like a who's going to get, who's going to come away with the ball. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It is often Gio Reyna from what I've seen. I haven't seen enough of Tessman to, to know that, but if you say so, I, I will believe you. Okay, thanks. Uh, hey, this is Daryl breaking in with a quick ad read today's total soccer show is sponsored by hymns a wellness brand for men so we all know that unless you're steven gerrard your hairline does not stay where it used to be things slowly move backwards and if it's going backwards more than you expected if it's dropping like a scared defense then the best way to get that hairline to step forward and catch your scalp offside is to take action now and the best way to take action is with Hims. Hims is the transfer. It's the signing that you can make to get your hairline to step forward, to step up, to be back where it was. And this isn't some made-up nonsense that you can buy at a gas station. This is a prescription solution backed by science. With Hims, you just go to 4 and you get connected to real doctors and that could save you hours and it will save you the in-person visit. It's completely confidential and discreet. You answer a few quick questions that the doctor will review your answers and then if they determine that Hims is right for you, they can't just give it to anybody, um, they can prescribe you the medication to treat hair loss that is shipped directly to your door. Now you can get started with your first month free. You go to 4 slash total soccer. That's 4hims.com slash total total sucker for your first month free remember prescription requires an online consultation with a physician that we just mentioned that physician will determine if the prescription is appropriate this offer is valid only if prescribed three month minimum subscription additional restrictions apply see website for full details and important safety information one more time it's forhimscom slash total sucker okay let's get back to answering some questions Jesse Frankel. Next question. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Okay. Yeah, it's your turn. My apologies. It's my turn. It's my turn, Daryl. Come on. <laughs> Jesse Frankel asks, what are the real implications of the U.S. women's national team and the U23 men's national team, the real implications on them if the Olympics get delayed? So as far as we know, the Olympics are still on, right? But like we said, there's, a ro- there's rolling, uh, rolling suspensions and cancellations. There's a chance the Olympics doesn't happen. I think... Oh, it's really weird, right? Because the women are in such an odd spot with this battle with U.S. soccer. In one way, it would be um, – in a weird way, it supports their case just in case they don't, they don't go and win gold, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like if they'd gone and they lose in the semifinals and like don't even win bronze, for example, which is you know, not impossible, um, then suddenly they're in a slightly weaker position than, than the sort of all-conquering women's national team that they are right now. But if they'd gone and won gold, then they're in an even stronger position because they become the first team to win the World Cup and then the Olympics back to back. So I guess it really depends on whether or not they uh, they would have won gold or not. Yeah. Um, there's also uh, – the other thing is that if the Olympics gets pushed back a year, I think it makes the women's national team schedule um, something that I prefer a lot more. Like they would have a big tournament every two years 
instead of back-to-back big tournaments and then a couple of years of, of nothing happening, basically. So it might be a good thing if it's pushed back for them. Uh, for the under-23s, I think it's it would be a huge missed opportunity to have a group of talented under-23 US national team players get some tournament experience together. Like, literally the experience of, you know... Uh, rooming together and going through the tournament experience together and for, forging those bonds. Yeah, and it, it, a little bit of a missed opportunity for interest in the sport yeah. on, the, on the men's side. So I think it would introduce a lot of these young guys to the public, the casual public. I, actually, I have this question because I have only been here once when the US had a men's team at the Olympics. Um, do casual fans watch i mean i know they don't watch in like world cup type numbers but if you're a casual olympic fan do you watch soccer mm, that's a good question i don't i actually don't know i don't know i don't know anything about that that answer it's a strange to tournament right it's, the, it's probably the strangest soccer tournament in the world is the uh, the men's olympic soccer tournament because of this just all the weird age requirements yeah and because it is high level players but it's also not the very best teams that um, a nation can put out and it, it doesn't have the – and because there are other, in a weird way, higher-profile Olympic events happening, right? Like, you know, like the 100-meter sprint is, some, like, much more higher-profile because it's, like, the pinnacle of that sport. So it's weird that it's yeah. at the Olympics, but it's not the pinnacle of the sport. I've, I've always had very conflicted feelings about Olympic soccer. Yeah, well, I guess the way I look at it is if, if they win their first game in the tournament at the Olympics – and score a couple goals. You're going to see those highlight, highlights on SportsCenter. Mm. The, and the anchor is going to say, hey, the, the men's Olympic team just defeated so-and-so. Their next game is on Tuesday at such-and-such such a time on ESPN or on whatever, whoever's airing the Olympics. And, uh, you know, I, I imagine some people would watch. Yeah, I and, think you're right. Interest could snowball with a good early result, right? Right, right. Um, we, we haven't touched on this yet, but um, – the the CONCACAF Olympic qualifying event that starts March 20th, next Friday, um, right now is not cancelled, right? Oh, it just got cancelled like did? a half hour ago. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm actually glad that we now know. Yeah. Uh, CONCACAF put out a statement. Not cancelled, but the, the word was postponed. Postponed. I wonder if we get to meddle with the roster or if, you, if you're stuck with the, uh, <laughs> the 20 <laughs> be, that you know. It would be funny if they, uh, they would just have to be eternally – with the same roster. <laughs> it gets played in 2050. <laughs> a very old Aaron Herrera hobbling around at fullback. Right, right. He's, he's fit. He's fit. He's probably going to be in good shape in 50 years. <laughs> yeah, he seems like the type of take-up cycling. Mm, yes, he does. <laughs> um, I, I can't remember. You asked the last question or I did? You asked it, right? I, I asked it. You're, okay, you're so up. next up is John. John wants to know, who would you say are the three most underrated players in the men's national team pool? And who are the three most overrated? All right, uh, Mr. Bells, I'm going to ask you first for your three most underrated players in the pool. This is such a difficult question. But, it is, right? Um, I'm going to say Reggie Cannon, uh, Nicholas Joachini, and Weston McKenney are my underrated choices. Don't – I'm not going to die for any of these choices, by the way. Okay. those – Let's see what I got. So why is Reggie Cannon um, underrated? Because I'm really excited about him. Do you think the general public just don't yeah, realize how good I, he is yet? I, I think because he plays in MLS and because he competes with DeAndre Yedlin, who plays in the Premier League for, for minutes on the national team, I think Reggie Cannon comes in for a lot of sort of skepticism. I see. And, uh, and, I, and I think, you know, skepticism is always warranted, but I think he's, he's quite a bit better than sort of the general discourse around him. That's fair. Um, and Giacchini is someone I'm not that familiar with. Where is he playing? He's playing at SM Khan in the French second division. He's a striker. 
he uh, he's left footed. He does play on the wing sometimes. He you know his stat line isn't that impressive, but he's only 19 and you know kind of broke out this season. I think he he gets in a ton of good spots. He didn't so I I just looked it up yesterday or so. The uh, last three games for Khan, he he put up 1.6 xg. So he's in good spots all the okay. time, and that's an astronomical number for a three game period. He didn't. The problem is he didn't score any goals in that in those three games. So he's like missing some chances. But you know the quants will tell you <laughs> if you're getting in the right spots, the goals will come. And uh, I think. I think he's uh, he's he's a lot better than most people realize. He's he's playing really well and uh, at a young age, you know, in a respectable level. And your third pick was Weston McKenney, underrated. Yeah, I think he also I think he also just has not put it together for the national team. So it's justifiable that he gets uh, as much criticism as he gets. I feel like he gets a lot of criticism. Do you? Yeah, well, weirdly, I've got him in my most overrated because <laughs> we put it because we see what he does in flashes in the Bundesliga, yeah, and then we put him in the men's national team, and I think we kind of expect him to carry the team um, in in some games, and then we're always disappointed. And yeah. I feel like it's just an expect the expectations are overrated in terms of what he can do for us right now. Yeah, no, I think so. So you call that overrated? I call that underrated. Yeah, that's two sides <laughs> of the same coin, right? Yeah, it really is. It's. Um, <laughs> I think he's. I think he's. He's gonna be a great player for the U.S. He just hasn't quite done it yet. And you know, we saw him play really well a couple weeks ago for Schalke or over the weekend. I think it was. Yeah, when he uh, scored, was it Hoffenheim? I believe. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. Here's here's my three most underrated. Um, I'm gonna go first with Paul Ariola. Um, I think for the same reasons you mentioned with Reggie Cannon is because Ariola's not in Europe. Everybody's a little uh, unimpressed when they see his name. But I actually think if you look at, for example, the Canada game that we won, he's 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 really, really important to that hustle up and down the wing. I yeah. think we're going to miss it when it comes to the Hex. I think he would have been a key player um, in the Hex. It's very, very unlikely that he's back by then. Um, and I also think there's kind of a rush for everybody's getting very excited about, I don't know, like Gio Reyna or Tim Weyer or other younger up-and-coming guys who could play wide. But I, I often think Paul Ariola is just the correct choice because of um, essentially the work rate and the, the both-way threat that he offers. Um, so there's one mm-hmm. guy for me. Um, I'm also, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to risk your wrath there and especially risk the wrath of Greg Velasquez and say, I actually think Giassi Zardes is underrated because I think we've all piled on a little too much. And by that, I mean that a lot of fans essentially think that he's just a terrible soccer player. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And to that extent, I think he's very much underrated. To be, to, to be quite honest, we have softened towards Jazzy quite a lot in okay. the last couple months, three it, months. Was it after he finished top scorer for the U.S. men's national team in 2019? I mean, I, I'm not swayed too much by that, but... Uh, it's it's watching. I guess it's watching Sargent struggle with with a lot of the intangible, subtle stuff that a striker is supposed to do, and seeing that Jazzy does that stuff so well. Yeah, moving off the ball, pressing, and um, I don't know. I've I've definitely softened towards him, and 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 I think what Greg would say, he said it. He said it before. Is is if we're in a game where we're just going to try to win the ball and hit the other team on the break, uh, Zardes is Zardes is great for that. He's fine yeah. for that. You know, and I'm it's actually, like I'm, I'm it's with you guys. To... I'm with you guys that, for example, Jesus Ferreira's um, positional play uh, really showed what we're lacking when Zardes takes up that position. 
Um, so it's not like I'm all in on Zardes must start over Altidore and Ferreira. It's more that I, I think everyone piles onto him and it's it's undeserved. I think Zardes as underrated is totally correct. I agree with you, Daryl. All right. So is, have I given two or three? Ariola, Zardes. Um, I should have made notes. I've forgotten who my third player is. Um, <laughs> let's go. Let's go with, oh, Tim Ream. It was Tim Ream. Um, I oh, think, I almost chose him. Yeah, yeah, in that left, especially if we're playing that left back becomes left centre back system. I actually think Tim Ream is kind of perfect for that. And I, and I think if you go back and watch his performances, he's put in a lot of impressive performances for the US men's national team over the over the past year. Um, and he's also, it's no coincidence that he's been made captain uh, several times. I know Jermaine Jones is not a fan of Tim Ream as captain of the US men's national team. But I think he's <laughs> one of those guys that, again, people are unimpressed with, but he's actually very useful when he plays. Yeah, I totally agree. And he can play the like you said, he can play both. He can play both positions. He's probably going to get called on when John Brooks is hurt in our next international window. Yeah, to yeah. play left center back. And so a, he's a left foot center back is hard to find. Yeah, and and also one who's a, a fairly elegant passer. You know? Yes, definitely. Yeah, he can get himself out of a tight spot for sure. Um, okay, overrated. Um, who are your three most overrated? I could only come up with two, okay, and and the second one is going to drive people crazy. But I'll, I'll start with the first one, DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah. I think because of where he plays at Newcastle in, in the Premier League, he somehow gets like there's this halo around him that is just not just not justified. He has not played well for the men's national team for several months, maybe even years, and, uh, and yeah, I just I don't think his I don't think he's that good in the attack. I don't think he's that good in defending. His first touch isn't that great. He is fast. He does get in good spots in the attack, but once he gets in those spots, I think his decisions are generally not generally, but often subpar. Yeah. So I agree. Uh, I, I think what's saving him is not just his pace, but he does seem to have this excellent competitive mentality. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like he really is like a a good pro. Put it that way. Like he's a, a very good professional. But I'm a hundred percent with you. Um, I, I'd co-sign him as one of my overrated players. Okay. Now, now here's my second one, and I, you got you got to let me explain. Of course, I'm going to say Tyler Adams. Interesting. And and I, it's not that I don't think he's good or that he shouldn't be our starting number six. I just think people people have put him at a level that he doesn't quite deserve to be at yet. Um, like like he's going to just go to you know go play for Manchester United as their number six next year. Yeah, I think there are like quite a few people who think, well, he's you know send him to the Premier League. He's ready for it. And I know he's coming off a long injury layoff and everything, but he's been playing as a as a wide defender for RB Leipzig most more often than not this yeah. this spring. And I still have my doubts about him as a player who can get on the ball, operate on the half turn, um, connect play in the middle of the field. He's as a defender, he is. I I, I have no criticism at all you know he, he he crushes the opponent and wins the ball and and we're going forward but like as a as a midfielder on the ball uh i think he's like bundesliga level right now maybe 
maybe a little below Bundesliga level at, at midfield right I now. I don't. We, we have a question later on that um, specifically asks about Tyler Adams as the six. So I think we can get more into that uh, when when we get to that question. But I would agree with you that his, his biggest success at, or his current position at Leipzig is, I saw him describe it as um, when we're defending, I'm kind of right wing back. And when we're attacking, I'm like the right-sided number eight. So I quite like the weird split in position that Julian yeah. Nagelsmann um, has done with him. And I think it's interesting that um, uh, Greg Berhalter also had plans for Tyler Adams to sort of play two positions at once. And I'm, I think it says something about Tyler Adams as a player that um, two coaches have decided that he can play two positions at once. Yeah. No, he's very, very intelligent. I mean, he's like maybe our smartest player. But I just, I'm just talking about like pure technique. I'm not sure it's... The, Yes, yeah. there for there's that time, right? This time, mm-hmm. this time. Yeah. Um, how many overrated players is that? Is that two or three? That's two, and I can't. I, I mean, I can think of some youth players who are overrated, but okay. I, uh, I, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Um, we don't. We don't need to. We don't need to bash it. the youth, right? We don't go need to bash it. the youth. Yeah. Um, very off-brand for you to bash the youth. Um, <laughs> so I agree with you on Yedlin. I'm gonna say Christian Pulisic, mostly Ooh. because I mean I think he's a magnificent player. But there have been a lot of games where I think we have Pulisic in the starting lineup and suddenly, this is really more about like fan reaction and Twitter reaction. Everybody's just like, oh, we're set. We've got Pulisic. He's going to go at people and he's going to dominate this game. And so many times we've seen that not happen. And I think it's because we, we've essentially just become this, uh, we've turned into this thing where if Pulisic's on the field, he's the go-to guy and everything sometimes goes through him a little too much. And I yeah. would prefer for that not to happen. I would prefer for us not to be one of those teams that just has one star player and we're always trying to get him on the ball. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. I mean, he he also, you know, he 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 went through the hex the last time and everybody thought, well, he was he's an amazing player. But in the hex last the last hex, he if you really look at it, he put up most of his numbers in a six zero win against Honduras and the four zero win against Panama. Yeah. Both at home. There were there were several games almost all of our away games where he was completely absent. Yeah, he got know. kicked around is what I remember. Yeah. yeah, like at Mexico, he didn't play well. At Honduras, he didn't play well. At Trinidad, he didn't play well. So he's not infallible. But yeah, I, I think I guess- that's it. I think, and that's what I'm reacting against is people thinking he is this sort of like impossible to stop soccer god. And yeah. really, he's just like a very fast, direct uh dribbly winger who poses a threat but like he can't solve all our problems we need everything else to work as well um and then the thing that go sorry ahead. go ahead can, go I, ahead can i say one more thing about yeah, yeah. the thing that the thing that sort of would take him off the overrated uh list for me even though i agree with everything he said is just how well he played for chelsea before he got injured yes like he was he seemed like he was a new player this fall yeah i mean i absolutely think he's capable of great things i just don't want us to rely too heavily on him if that makes sense okay um, my final overrated player is Josh Sargent. Um, and the evidence I would have for this is the, again, how excited everybody was that Josh Sargent was starting at center forward for Berhalter in the away game against Canada. And then you compare his performance in that away game against Canada with, say, Jesse Zardes' performance in the home game, which we won. Mm-hmm. And I think I'd use that as evidence that maybe we've all gotten a little carried away with thinking Josh Sargent is ready to be the starting the starting number nine right now. I still think he's a, a young guy with um, with a lot to learn. Yeah, no disagreement here. I've been frustrated watching him over the last few months. Did you see the um, the Bremen coaches' comments after uh, this past weekend? 
I did. Uh, basically, Kofelt said he doesn't he wasn't paying attention to his instructions in the press. Yeah. So he was. So Sergeant was charging forward after you know, kind of abandoning the structure they had, yep. which had a negative chain reaction on the rest of the team. And Kofelt basically blamed the the, the goals that, that was it. Hertha Berlin scored. Scored against so. them, yeah. Scored against them on on Sergeant and said it drove him crazy. And then he tried to, you know, he tried to say nice things about Sergeant too. But I watched that performance and it was outside of the goal, which was really nice. It you was know, yeah. left footed strike from 20, 20, 25 yards. Outside of that goal, he was really bad. And it wasn't. I didn't even notice the pressing stuff. I noticed that he uh, lost the ball a lot, and and his first touch was off. So I don't know. He's in a. I, Taylor likes to talk about a quicksand match. Yeah. I feel like he's a little bit in a quicksand season. That makes sense, yeah. And so I didn't see that game, but am I, would I be right in guessing that like he he started to get frustrated and maybe that's why he broke with the structure and just tried to you know charge centre-backs down and win the ball and not not play in the, the very detailed system that, uh, that Bremen had? I don't know why he would have been frustrated. They were up 2-0 and uh. he, had scored a, he had scored a banger. I th- Kofeld said he just uh, forgets. Oh, that's interesting. I mean, seriously, like he said, he he doesn't think it was willful disobedience, just uh, kind of a brain fart, so which is not write, ideal. We should write his instructions on his hand. <laughs> in permanent marker. Yeah. You know, like if you're going to cheat on an exam, the way you might do that, for yeah. example. I, I mean, I'm not saying if I did or I didn't, but <laughs> it, maybe we should do that for Josh Sargent. Maybe we should. <laughs> or give him one of those laminated cards that the quarterbacks get in, in the NFL. Oh, do they? <laughs> <laughs> or on a water bottle like goalkeepers have. Yeah, there's <laughs> got to be some way to solve this. <laughs> I think it's just time and experience. And I, I think that's my um, that's why I think he's overrated right now is because people think he's ready to go right now. And instead, I think there's just a lot of promise there, but there's still all these kinks to be to be ironed out, including following tactical instructions, which is a big thing if you're Greg Bearhalter, right? Yeah, and and I think just being mentally engaged is is something that you know, Berhalter talked about him not being quote unquote fresh in his mind yeah. a few months ago. And now we hear this from Kofeld. This is just this is head stuff. You yeah. know, it's about concentration and applying your mind to the, the job in front of you. I mean the job of a striker is super cerebral. Yeah. And he's gotta he's gotta get that right or he's not gonna be successful. So there you go, those are underrated and overrated players. I kind of like that we came at it from uh, from different angles. Yeah, very, very different angles. <laughs> I agree uh, with all of you. Hey, this is Daryl cutting in once again to let you know about something that is very much not overrated. It's today's sponsor, The Black Tux. The Black Tux is a service that provides tuxedos and suits for rent and for keeps. So you can rent or buy a tuxedo or suit from theblacktux.com. And it's not just a suit or tux. It's the complete outfit. You can also get shirts, vests, cufflinks, studs neckwear which i assume means ties shoes and accessories so if you have none of that stuff and you've got a big event coming up say uh, your prom or your wedding or you're a british secret agent and you've been invited to a very high-end casino you can get all of that stuff from theblacktux.com basically you go to theblacktux.com and you choose your style you choose what you want um you order it and it arrives on the upcoming tuesday of your choosing the tuesday of your choosing shipping is free once you've got it you try it on at home. And then you have, if you have questions about your fit or you need help figuring out the size, um, you can turn to the blacktux.com's specialists 
then if you need to make changes, you can send it back 48 hours later. So that's by Thursday, essentially, um, from your nearest UPS location. Again, shipping is free both ways. In the end, the goal is to have you looking great for your event. Whether you've rented the suit or tux and all the other stuff, or you've bought the whole package because you're going to wear it regularly, you will look great thanks to theblacktux.com. Even better, you can get 10% off at theblacktux.com if you use the code SOCCER. That's theblacktux.com, code SOCCER, for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear for the moment. Are you ready for the next question? Um, I think it's it's you asking this one. Yes. JLAC asks, some pundits have said this is the deepest and most talented USMNT pool in our history. Do you agree, Daryl? <laughs> I, like, I like the uh, people are saying um, leading to this question. Yeah. Everybody's um, saying it. I, In a weird way, it is in terms of how many young players we know about and we're excited about. But I just wonder if that's more a result of how much more connected we are to what's going on. You know, I mean, the fact that we can look up highlights of like U17 players doing this or that, I think at the very least gives the illusion of deep, deep talent just because we're more aware of the various talent that that is out there. So I want to agree, but I mean, especially the top end talent still is very young, right? We don't have that that lost generation, that missing generation isn't there. I think if that was there and then I could see all these exciting young players, I would agree. But I'm reticent to agree right now because the the middle, you know, that like 24 to 27 or 25 to 30 age group is missing. And I'm not convinced that the the depth of talent that we see, I'm not convinced that it's not just that we know about it and therefore we think there's more than there's ever been. Yeah, I hear you. I mean, definitely the 20, the 25 to 30 age range is not very good. So we don't have the deepest USMNT pool in our history yet. That's how I would, that's how that's I would say it. That's interesting, yeah. But I, but I do think we have the deepest and most talented young pool. It's for sure. It's indisputable. We have five U23s with Champions League experience. Okay, yeah. Right I'm, now. I'm swayed. I'm swayed. And there's no comparison with past generations on that. Um, the the number of – I mean we, we talked about this on our last podcast a little bit. The number of players who weren't released because their club wanted to keep them yeah. during the Olympic qualifiers. You know, in 2008, there were like two. In 2012 – or was it 2000 – yeah, 2012, it was like four, and, and three of those were German dual nationals. Right. In 2016, it was, I think, four again. And we have, you know, we have like almost 20 this year who aren't released because they're they're too valuable to their club. So I think we're I think we're uh, we're heading in the right direction. So the youth pool is deep, and what give it four years, and then maybe we can say we have the most talented pool in history because players like Pulisic will be in that sort of peak age range. Yeah. And oh, Ledesma and maybe Mendes and Yanez and those guys will be pushing through as the up and comers. And then we'll have the whole generation of talent coming behind them. That's right. Ooh. It's the dream of 2026. The future is bright. It is the dream of 2026. Yeah. The future is bright. Um, Patrick Keeler, what is the starting 11 for the first game of the Hex? This connects to a later question for me, but I, uh, I'm going to say Pulisic on the left wing, Altidore at striker, Jordan Morris on the right wing, Sebastian Legette and Weston McKenney as the dual eights, Adams as the six, Dest, Brooks, Long, and Cannon along the back line with Stefan in goal. The only part I would disagree with is I'm not convinced that we'll see Adams as the six. We might still have Jackson Yule as, as the six and maybe like a, an Adams and McKenney central midfield. 
So who would miss out there? Sebastian Lejet would miss out there, right? Yeah. If it, if it was me choosing, I'd be very happy with your uh, your lineup, but I've got a feeling that we'll still have the Regista style number six. You're probably right, or at least there's a very good chance you're right. And we, we do have that Adams as a six question to uh, to dig into later on, right? Is is there any any other like high profile misses that or or things that we just named. I guess one thing we both just named is two attacking fullbacks, right? Reggie Cannon and Sejuno Dest. Do you think, because I do, do you think we're trending towards Berhalter not having the left back stays home and becomes left centre back in a back three? Yeah, well, we didn't. So, I mean, it's just a small sample, but in the friendly against Costa Rica at the end of January camp, both fullbacks were getting forward pretty regularly, Sam Bynes and Reggie Cannon. I don't, yeah, I don't see that there needs to be a stay-at-home left back for Berhalter. He's got he's definitely not like wedded to that. Yeah, okay. And I think I think I prefer it in the end to just go more traditional and have two threatening fullbacks. Yeah. Yeah, or or and let them you know, they have to see what each other is doing and and respond accordingly. So, it requires some intelligence from those fullbacks to stay home when the other one is getting way forward. But uh yeah. Here's my, I would say, here's my big question. Um, if inevitably Josie's hamstring goes the week before the first game, who's your, who's your center forward? Uh, Zardes, I think. It's Zardes. Zardes over Sargent, yeah. Unless, unless Sargent has a renaissance in the next few months, which doesn't seem likely given there will be no professional soccer. This is true. This is true. I've, I've bought a lot of uh, Jesus Ferreira stock lately. Um, I guess it depends... <laughs> If there's an Olympic qualifying and then if he goes and performs at the Olympics, if any of that even happens, that I think there's a chance for him to establish himself um, as as the nine in a Berhalter system. But I think without those games, there'll be no chance for him to do so. Yeah. I mean, maybe he maybe he plays as a nine for Dallas. Well, again, there's not yeah. going to be any soccer. <laughs> we need, we next need some games. Oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. <laughs> um, all right. The next question. The next question is the one everybody's been waiting for. Oh, yeah. The battle. Uh, Matt Williams asks, what are your opinions on Uli's January camp performance and fight? <laughs> and he, he had a Stephen Colbert gif of uh, and fight. So um, this is kind of the genesis of this this episode um, is it sort of went off in my head when someone said, oh, you guys should have a do a show and talk about this because we had very differing reactions to Total Soccer Show and Scuffed had different reactions to Ulysses Yanez's uh, performance, um, not in January camp, because we don't really know what happened in camp, but in the game against Costa Rica. Right. Um, so should we, should we maybe, uh, we'll, uh, we'll maybe uh, spell out what each of us thought? Um, so at this Why end, don't you spell, out, you spell out what you thought I thought, and then I spell out what I, what I thought you thought. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, this is, this is fraught, because I might get it wrong, right? Um, I might get it wrong, yeah. I... I thought that you and Greg saw a performance filled with flair and threat and lots of moments that were very exciting in terms of, oh, that was a great turn. That was like an impressive bit of swagger and skill that's been missing from this team for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, I'm not convinced that there's any end product from that because a lot of the time something it would be that magnificent thing and then it would be shooting into the shins of a defender. Yeah. So is that is the second part what you thought we yeah, thought? Yeah, so, no, sorry. Okay. The second part is I couldn't help drifting into my own opinion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm very sorry. No, 
Yeah, I broke um, the terms of our agreement. <laughs> no, that's fair. That w- w- that is what we thought, more or less. And I, I, yeah, I guess I thought you you thought he was he just wasn't he was raw in the final third. Like he didn't he didn't make the the decisions that he needed to to finish off the plays, the yeah. correct decision. I think yeah, I think he definitely it's about not making the correct decision. I think he wanted to make an impression, basically. Um, including when he decided to step up and volunteer and make clear that he wanted to take the penalty. I think Ulysses Janes was definitely all about, this is my opportunity. I'm going to essentially show off and do a lot of stuff that will catch a lot of attention. Mm. Um, I actually think that I think you in a Twitter conversation that I deliberately stayed out of because I didn't want to get into it because I know there are definitely people on Twitter who want to like pit us against each other and take sides and start start some (laughs) some sort of argument you know what I'm saying yeah yeah, Um, yeah. but I I think you threaded the needle perfectly on this when you I think you your critique of our critique was that we didn't give enough credit to the fact that even if Yanez wasn't producing end product the things that he would do in essentially threatened Costa Rica and put them on the back foot that made other things possible. And I would I would agree with that, not just as a, oh, yeah, there's a good compromise, I'll take it. I actually think yeah. that's true. Yeah, cool. I mean, I think, yeah, I think it was a matter of emphasis for, like, you guys emphasize one part of it and we emphasize the other. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I used the phrase, he's the, he was the straw that stirred the drink yeah. for us in that game. And I think, I, I stand by that. I think he was... You do need players like Christian Pulisic who make the other team nervous and create danger and create things. And and Uli was doing that. I was particularly pleased with the fact that he he was winning those battles in the three by three yard box. Mm. N- not to beat a dead horse, but he was he you know he he took a bad touch, but he still won the ball back. You know, or he yeah you know he he turned somebody on his back and he kept the ball and he advanced it forward. Those that was a surprise to me because he's he's playing in the U nineteen Bundesliga. He's playing against eighteen and seventeen year olds. Well, and this is a thing that the people at Wolfsburg is it Wolfsburg correct? Um, yeah. And uh, and Greg Behalter both mentioned that one of the things they were impressed with was his defensive work rate and like decision making because that's not something you often get with like dribbly step overy quick turn wingers. You then have yeah. to like work on their defensive side of the game, and it seems that like everyone's impressed that he's uh, further ahead on that stuff than they than is typical for that type of player. Yeah, and I, I think he, I don't know that he showed a lot of that at the U20 World Cup, like defensive chops. And yeah. so I I know Berhalter was very pleased with that in the Costa Rica friendly. The, other, the only other, the only other distinction I would make between you and me is, I mean, I don't, I didn't see him as like doing a bunch of flair stuff for the sake of flair. I just thought he made some poor decisions in the final third. Like, you know, that, that one where he, he, he wins the ball at about 40 yards away. He dribbles towards the box. Could have slipped, uh, I think, Leggett or Ariola in wide, but yes, instead played kind of a, cramp, a cramped ball into Jesus Ferreira's feet yeah. and then this just the, kind of died out. This is the one that ends with Leggett getting a chance, but much wider than he expected and then being really angry about it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, I, that, I don't. That. I don't think there was a. I don't think there was sort of some desire to show off in that moment from Giannis. I just think he made the wrong decision, and um, and I think that was like just making the wrong decision more characterized his mistakes than, um, you know, trying to make an impression. Yeah. Okay. But, yeah. I think I think that's fair. I think maybe what I've got in my head is that he sort of. I'm not saying this was his intent, but he did make an impression with a lot of fans because he pulled off some some turns and some moves that we don't often see from US national team players. We basically haven't seen stuff like this since Clint Dempsey. 
You know what I'm saying? Or, like yeah, really, I mean, really clever Pulisic tight maybe. turns. But even Pulisic, like for me, Pulisic dribbles at people at pace and he's sort of, his trick is, I might go left, I might go right and I've got this really quick change of direction. Yeah. It's a little bit, it's, it reminds me more of like peak Landon Donovan maybe. You know what I'm saying? There's not a lot yeah. of like step overs or roulettes or like weird body shapes in there. It's, a, it's kind of basic but effective. Whereas Yanez, it's a lot more like showboaty, highlight reel worthy. Good point. Good point. There was that one where he like he dragged it back and stepped and like rouletted a guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, and I'm that, not. I'm that not saying empty, that that's he's MTS. doing that. I'm not saying he's doing that just for the YouTube's. I'm I'm saying that like we haven't seen a lot of that as US fans. It's one of the things that we've been missing from the US national team for a long time, and everyone's excited to see it, even if there's not always the correct end product. But hopefully, there might be in the near future. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's the hope. I my understanding is he'll get a good chance this summer to, you know, provided the world still exists this <laughs> summer, he'll he'll get a good chance to to join the Wolfsburg first team in the fall. In the fall. So that'll be next season, right? So you're not expecting. Yeah. I mean, I know things are weird because the Bundesliga is suspended, but assuming the Bundesliga had kept going, do you think he would have got any sort of first team debut towards the end of no, this year? I don't no? think so. I guess I mean, he's maybe, gone, he's maybe, gone yeah. with the Olympic qualifying, right? So that already takes right. out a month or so. That does. And then I, so maybe he would have gotten like a last last match day of the season run out. Right. Like Weston McKinney did his first year yeah. at Schalke. So it's checked off the list and then it's not like a big deal when you make your debut so much next season. Right. But I don't even know if that would have happened. Yeah. Well, the future's bright and I'm glad um I'm glad that they sort of US soccer broke with their own or Greg Behalter broke with his own policy um of not calling up players unless they've had actual first team minutes. And I know this is a thing that Greg is very big on, right? Yeah. That you you don't you shouldn't stick to that rigid policy. And I, I'm a big fan of not having a rigid policy that you then self-enforce and you deny yourself things be, because you've decided that's the policy. Yeah. Well, and I think, so I guess another thing that Greg and I have talked about is like a lot of people would have, would have said they should stick to that policy before Uli was called up. And then I, I think the reason maybe we took a victory lap on our podcast is like, mm-hmm. hey, he looks like he belongs in this, in this team, you know, on this roster. I mean, he's, maybe he wasn't the best player. We could dis- disagree, you know, we could disagree about that, but like he was among the better players for the U S on the, on the day. And, um, and all of a sudden, so we're like, well, maybe people should change the way they talk about this. It's not, it shouldn't be so rigid because it's not just Berhalter. There's like, you know, prominent soccer media personalities who would sort of agree with that first team minutes standard. The other interesting angle for me is the, um, the young Ajax, young PSV and whether that counts as first team football or not. And it <laughs> seems to me that Greg Berhalter thinks it doesn't. Yeah. Yep. Which is, I think is interesting because in it is, it does exist in a weird half and half space, right? Like it's not quite U19 football because you are playing against some grown men, professional Esther Divisi teams. Yeah. And yet there's still the word young at the front of the team name. <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a mix because you're playing against some other young teams, which are mostly 19 and 20 year olds, or 18 year olds, or 17 year olds, or 16 year olds in the case of Ajax. Yeah, but um, but you're also playing against these you know these hardened professionals at Degrafskop or whatever, <laughs> you know, 25 year olds, 29 year olds, 35 year olds. Um, it's a mix. And I imagine they're kind of like the equivalent of they're like the Dutch equivalent of guys in the USL Championship who are given it giving it one last roll of the dice to see if they can make it up to the Eredivisie. Right. I mean, I don't know. I, I think young Ajax would do quite well in the USL championship if they were <laughs> if they were here. I'm not saying it's the same standard. I'm saying it's maybe yeah, yeah. the same mentality you're facing. 
right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I'm ready for the next question. Unless you have more Ulysses Giannis stuff you want to get to, because I don't want to shortchange people who were who were waiting for this big <laughs> Ulysses Giannis showdown. Yeah, no, no, um, nothing more for me. I hate you, Daryl. No. <laughs> well, I'm going to move us on to Scott Jurek's question. Um, and I say question because Scott asked us many questions. I've chosen just this one, Scott. Um, Scott said, when Taylor got five minutes with Bearhalter last month, this was at the MLS uh, 25th season kickoff event, um, Bearhalter mentioned the objective, and Scott's gone all caps and objective, the objective of the 3-0 loss to Mexico, that friendly, um, was being able to play through the back, which you know kind of means playing out of the back. Is this the first time that Berhalter publicly stated this? I wish he would elaborate on this and the World Cup cycle objectives besides the obvious win. So I can answer quickly that I know that when Taylor uh, asked that question and Berhalter talked about the objective of that game being to play out of the back, that we weren't breaking news. He had definitely said this before. And I Mm. want to say he'd said it in the post-match press conference. Yeah, but he didn't say it as clearly as he said it to Taylor. I, th- I think Berhalter's comments on the matter have evolved over time. Okay. And now it's like – I mean the way he spoke to Taylor about it is he was pretty much preferring to the game as a training exercise. Yeah. And I don't – I think he was trying to balance that with like, well, we want to win every game every time we go on the field. So, But he didn't say that to Taylor. He so, didn't say anything about we want to win. So it's, I think it's definitely true that you can say you want to win every game – and you kind of do want to win every game. Like, I want to win a pickup game when I play in it, right? But I don't treat it the same as if I play in a game where there's points on the line in my in my over-40s men's league. Um, but but it's, it's definitely true that Berhalter and the team used that game as an exercise to work on building the ball out of the back under pressure. There's no doubt that that was the priority. And then they also want to win the game, but the, the training exercise part of it definitely came first, right? Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a good interview by Taylor, by the way. I, I appreciated that, even though it was very brief. Um, yeah, he had to make the most of the five minutes, I think. He – because the question wasn't really about the Mexico friendly. The question was more about like what do people not understand yeah. about what you're doing. And he his mind just immediately, immediately went to that Mexico friendly. So clearly that's that's high on his list of things that he worries about. Yeah, and uh, sure. And he said you know, people didn't understand that this was a – this was us trying to do something specific. So I thought he did. I thought it was kind of a news breaking moment because it because it shows that Burhalter is is at least sort of changing the story. You know, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One one thing you got me thinking about was I think I would prefer if U.S. Soccer just told us this stuff in advance, right? Because mm. I definitely went into that um, that Mexico game as okay. We played pretty well in the Gold Cup final, but we lost this is our chance at revenge, right? And I really thought of it as like, okay, we're going to turn it around and win this game and it slightly makes up for losing the Gold Cup final. I, I had no inclination, no, um, no inkling that this was going to be, we're going to work on a thing for the future. Um, and I, I'm going to guess that if Greg Bayhalter had tried to say that beforehand, there'd have been some marketing people at US Soccer who would have said, maybe don't say that because we're trying to sell some tickets. Um, yeah. So you definitely, I mean, that's definitely a, a place where Jay Bayhalter and Greg Bayhalter would have, uh, not being on the same page um, in the build-up to that game, right? I don't know if he needs to like tell us what the what their training objective is before the game, but but I mean maybe after the game, something like, hey, we need to balance we need to balance the desire to win these games with our desire to like improve the way we play. Yeah, uh, uh, it it just seemed like he was totally taken aback by the 
if I remember correctly, totally taken aback after that game that anybody would question yeah. uh, what we were doing. And it's like, dude, we just got our butts kicked by yeah. Mexico. Three zero. It was not even close to a contest. At least you should be a little more ready to deal with some criticism, you know? I remember the um, the press co- – I wasn't in the press conference, but I remember watching the press conference. And I think he said, oh, I see what the narrative is going to be. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Genius. <laughs> but I, I genuinely think from what from what he said since that Behalter sees a lot of things that were successful in that game, things that he wanted to see from the team and they happened. And the 3-0 result was kind of just like it looks bad on paper, but – and the the Zach Steffen like passing it, uh, being dispossessed, and the US conceding looks bad. But there were lots of things that he was really happy with. Um, I don't know if I've ever said this on on our show, but I'm actually I'm fine with a coach who thinks long term like that, mm-hmm. and it then produces long term results. Like if that makes us better by the time the hex rolls around, I'm I'm all for it. But I do think that maybe fans need to be. Um, at least told that that's what's going on. And maybe not beforehand, because then you're tipping your hand to the opposition as well, right? And you almost ruin the experiment by revealing that what you're doing. Right. Uh, but yeah, I think immediately afterwards, maybe to almost immediately come clean and be like, hey, here's what we were trying to do. Because I think yeah. he, he hinted at it in that press conference. And like you said, he's changed the story and, well, not changed the story, but um, doubled down on it since. But I think if he'd come straight out of the gates and said, look, I know it looks bad, but here's what we were doing. I think everyone would be a bit more forgiving and a bit more literally understanding in, in many senses of the word. Yeah. I think he's changed his emphasis over time. Like yeah. it, when he talked to Taylor the other the other day, he didn't say anything about wanting to win that game. That's um, true. Immediately after the game, he was, you know, he didn't hardly say anything about it being a training exercise. So it's kind of, uh, yeah, whatever. I mean, I, I, I think that anybody could be a little better at talking about this kind of stuff. I think Baralter could say, yeah, I, it, we always have to balance the two things. I wish we would have, I wish we would have won the game, but here's what we're trying to do. Uh, we think we made some progress on that. Uh, what really matters is world cup qualifiers in a year. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be happy with that. And I am happy with that. I think that's yeah. actually a sensible way to, to build up a team ready for when things actually, uh, when things are really, really on the line. Yeah. All right. Are you ready for the? Uh, oh, the next question is a big question next that we've, been, from we've me. been hinting at. Yeah. Right? Oh, but if you want to hear what that question is, and you want to hear our answer to that question, and many more questions, you're going to need to listen to part two of this episode. And part two is not in the Total Soccer Show feed. It's over in the Scuffed feed. S C U F F E D. Scuffed. Go find it. Go listen to that podcast, and you will be able to listen to part two. 